Welcome to Call Your Girlfriends. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Anne Friedman. And I'm Ami So JK. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not JK. Identity theft. Very hot right now. Wow. Uh, how's it going, boo-boo? You know, we're in a room together. I am like... 50% on the way to the full caffeination I need today. I'm pretty good. <laughs> um, welcome to Brooklyn. Thank you. What are we talking about today? Oh my God. There are so many things for us to talk about today. I, uh, where to even begin? I mean, what are the common threads and things we're talking about today? Internet outrage. Privacy violations. Yeah. Boundaries and lack thereof. Yeah, and also not knowing how to make good decisions about what you should support or not on the internet. Completely. Plus, like, a heavy heaping of, like, white delusion and fragility. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's kind of an undercurrent in, like, many things, yeah. but, but like, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. Yeah, today is, like, a bubbling stew of, like, things that we think about related to the internet. <laughs> Okay, what what has been happening on the internet? Girl, people are mad. People are so mad all the time. Um, it's so it's interesting. I have been spending less time on the internet, not because of some like self righteous thing. Uh, two things happen. One, I rebooted all my apps and I don't know my passwords to things, and so I just like didn't look into them. And then two. I'm behind on all my deadlines, so <laughs> it's not some sort of like, I'm so good, I'm taking a, you know, internet detox. I'm like, no, I truly don't know my passwords. You were like, my, my life has set the boundary. I didn't need to set it. <laughs> right. And so it's actually been like great. But the thing about that that has been very strange is that I, so I have been getting most of my social media news from television. Oh my God. That is like a through the looking glass. <laughs> it's, you know, it's honestly like having you stay with me is, uh, it's a real test in how many days I can go without watching uh, the Today Show and Good Morning America. Right. For context, I sleep in the room that has the TV, that has cable. And so, I mean, you could come in in the morning and be like, let's watch GMA together. No, that's my alone time. <laughs> it's very intimate. So um, it's not a, it's not a together activity. Ugh. It truly is like, like, it's how I get ready. You know, it's like some people turn on the radio and I'm just like, ugh, what's going on in the fourth hour of the Today Show today? Um, that's how, you know, I get ready at 10 a.m. Fourth hour is where, like, the social media really comes out to play. <laughs> right. It's like where everything goes off the rails. But I promise this is going somewhere. I was listening to an episode of the Bitch Media Propaganda podcast where Dr. Alice Marwick and friend of the pod Helen Rossner who is the food critic of The New Yorker, we're talking about, you know, like, really getting into internet humor and irony. All of the many ways that, like, personal branding intersects with, like, internet gaff and intersects with privacy. Well, and for context, the episode is called When People Become Internet Memes. Exactly. So the internet is, like, very weird in that we're all on it, but we were never onboarded on it. Like, we never... <laughs> there are no rules, Like, right? we didn't hold hands and leap onto right. the internet together. We didn't say, like, <laughs> you know, like, there's no Emily post for the internet. Like, this is rude. This is not rude. Like, we just... It's a thing that we all do. 
that we have no norms around, which is actually like very dangerous. And every day things come back. Well, and also I feel like what happens is things go, things go like way, way, way too far. And then there's like reckoning period where everyone's like, whoa, was that actually okay? Right. And the thing, honestly, I think that like, I am not one of those people that I think that the internet has made life worse. I'm like, actually the internet is wonderful and magical. People are just bad people. And we will use every platform and things that we do to amplify how bad we are. Sure, you're gonna be bad no matter where you're expressing yourself. Exactly. I was like, you think those cavemen weren't like trolling people (laughs) on like, you know, like on with like cave drawings. You think Cave Bay wasn't fucked up? Yeah, like like, Cave Bay was (laughs) fucked up. Like 100%. So one of the things that they talked about on um, on the podcast episode, which is also a thing because I was not on Twitter, I was very late too, watching on Good Morning America, was the Plain Bay saga that probably a lot of you know about. Pause which is, button. Yeah, headlines. So Plain Bay, we're going to do the like, here's what the headline said, but like then I'm going to tell you the seedy underbelly of all of this. <laughs> the headlines were, two strangers facilitate two other strangers falling in love on a plane from New York to Dallas. Like, how cute is it? Love is alive. And so... You but can't I, see how hard my eyes are rolling. When so you're just here's how this. here's how television here's how television actually like showed Plain Bay because again I was not on Twitter. Had I been on Twitter, I've been fully horrified in real time. But on TV, two days later, it's like a whole produced segment. Two like hip, kind of cool looking like. They could be my people, your people, kind of people. Who uh, <laughs> could be our people, kind of people. <laughs> yeah, could be our people, kind of people. You know, it's like the clothes were right, the like the language was right, but I'm like the ethics were fucked up. Wow. So they are not our people. <laughs> but what you know, it's like basically the story is that this one woman um, asked another woman to switch seats with her so that the first woman could sit with her boyfriend. First of all, I'm going to say something very controversial here. If you are dating somebody or even just traveling with somebody and y'all have not figured out a fucking way to sit together, like, don't inconvenience me. I do not move for people. Whenever, like, especially, like, married couples or parents are like, hey, will you move? And I'm like, no, I paid for this specific seat. Well, so listen, my feeling, have to is, out. my feeling is, I, I mean, I feel slightly differently, which is it's okay to ask for what you want, but, like, don't pitch a fit if you don't get it. Like, it's okay to ask, but also... Here's why I say that it's actually, like, an inappropriate ask is because some of us work really hard to set where we want to sit. And if you are somebody that wants to travel with someone, you should figure that shit out. Obviously, conditions are different if you, like, get rerouted or whatever. That's what I mean. But, like... You you know, I'm just saying, this is a PSA for the travelers. This has nothing to do with the issue at hand. I just see this norm breaking every single time on airplanes. Oh like a lady God. asked me also, one time to move. Also, I love that you move. say it's a norm breaking just because you it don't like is. it. It is. It's not norm breaking. It's rude. And people pay money to like sit where they want to sit on the plane. Like, Trust me, my femur is 29 inches long. Like, right. I understand. Like, yeah. Listen, <laughs> once a lady asked me to switch my first class seat with her. And I was oh, like, excuse no. me? I was like, I have paid money to be here. And she was like, but my friend is sitting across. Like, and I was, yeah. was like, are you crazy? Like, no. Anyway, let's get back to the issue at hand. <laughs> so the seats are rearranged. The original couple is sitting next to each other. And then they're, and, and they're sitting behind these two strangers that are hitting it off. How would they know that they were hitting it off? Because they were eavesdropping on their conversation mm-hmm. and making wild assumptions based on their body language and that these two would be, that they would be an item. And this is where, for me, everything goes off the rails, right? It's like, it is one thing to project your, like, weird heteropatriarchy, like, shipping feelings on people. And to be clear, like, I do this all the time. It's, like, one thing to think that. It is a completely different thing to, like, buy plain Wi-Fi and share the 
conversations of strangers with other strangers on the internet. Agree, with like photos and things too. Right, I mean, like there especially, were fo- yeah. yeah, there were photos. And they were also just like very gross innuendos. You know, like at some point it's like, she's like, oh, they both went to the bathroom together. The woman came back with her hair, like her hair was up when they went and now her hair is down. And so, you know, like I know where this like gross reward system comes from, right? It's the fact that like we are all raised with fairy tales and some people believe that they're real and that like romantic love is the number one thing to aspire to. Also, the world is literally a garbage fire right now. So I know why some of you are just like dreaming about like more straight people pairings in the world. Like we know why this happens. (laughs) Well, and also the idea too that like everyone is an internet storyteller nowadays and the idea... Right, everyone wants to work at BuzzFeed. Totally. And the idea... Which is literally a thing that the woman who shed the thread said in like her thread sharing. Oh my God. For me, there is a huge difference between, you're right, like we are all swimming in the soup that is heteropatriarchy and like shipping this man and woman sitting next to each other ahead of you. Fine. Actually, even tweeting in a way that is totally unidentifiable, like in terms of who those people are and whatever, like also kind of fine with me. If you're just like, hi, I'm on a random flight and I'm like watching this thing and I have a hundred followers, like who cares? You know my rule about that? You can't do it in real time. Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like, listen, whatever it is, whatever you have to do to kind of protect the like true anonymity of the people that you were talking about. And like, you're right. Like not, not doing it when you're standing in front of the person that you are essentially subtweeting fine. But like the line crossing for me is like, Oh, I'm going to try to figure out what your name is. I'm going to like post a photo of you. Like this is kind of feel like I reserve that for like, we're doxing a white supremacist, like in the wild, like, like, right. Yeah. Anyway, go on. I guess, like, the the real, like, even pause for me, right, is that this is the part where, you know, it's like, think about consent in ways that have to do with more than just, like, boning people. And this is a thing where I see people, like, fail at their own politics all the time. Like, people who are, like, you know, our kind of people, progressive people, whatever. I don't want to be, like, this is a special place in hell for women who don't, you know, like, for women who ducks other women or whatever. <laughs> Um, there are a lot of special which, places in hell. Listen, you know how I hate the special place in hell construct. It's like what I'm mocking. All of hell is really a special place. You know, I'm like, if I'm in hell and I see somebody else I like, I'm going to be like, hey, bitch, what's up? Because <laughs> we both going to be here. This is Lit. a plug for the new season of The Good Place. Yes. Um, but, you know, the thing is that, like, it's so wild to me that you can be, like, violating somebody like that and not think about it in the moment, right? Where... You did not ask for people's permission to share anything about their lives, whether it is like the location of where they're at or what is happening with them. They're strangers to you. And it's also a thing that it's, it's, it's like, pause two seconds and think like, how would I feel if that happened to me? And I probably think that you would not feel great about it. But anyway, so back to the TV construct of this. The TV construct of this is this like beautifully like produced, like gross digital package that is you know, it sets up the couple who, like, did the seat rearranging, and they're very gregarious people, and obviously they're angling for, like, internet fame. And the thing about this is that, like, it's not a thing that I laugh about because I understand how people get caught up in this. You are an interesting storyteller, you say interesting things, and the next thing you know, Good Morning America wants to talk to you. Well, and part of aspiring... And we we live in a world where, like, brand is everything. Right, and, like, what is a digital resume but, like, you tell good stories? Like, frankly, the temptation being... I want to grow, I want to grow my followers or I want to use this platform like in a bigger, better way. Plus, 
like understanding that like storytelling and narrative is a way to do that right but you know the question you should ask yourself is like whose stories do i have the right to tell trust yeah um and you know so it's like the couple is there and they're like you know they seem pretty fun to be fair i would legit watch a tv show that those two did because it was pretty funny and then they show the um the man in the interaction who is like you know mainstream handsome he has, you know, he has the fashy haircut that all the soccer players have because he's a soccer player. To clarify, um, you mean the man who's part of this presumed couple? Yes, the man who is like the half of the presumed couple. Yeah. He is on TV. He is clearly also wants to be a social media influencer, which like a lot of people will roll their eyes at. But I'm like, you know, like I, that's not a job that I um, I don't feel any type of way about. It's a respectable media. revenue stream. It is 100%. <laughs> and also, like, you know, I'm like making money to be yourself. Like most people would aspire to that. Yeah. So... He, like, clearly gets the game. He, like, played soccer. He's, you know, like, now he's a model. It's totally within his, like, wheel. He's very charming. You know, like, total TV catnip. And the real telling sign here is that the woman, who is the other half of the couple, refuses to be named. Presumed couple. Let's Presumed uh-huh. couple. The alleged couple. Yeah. Refuses to come on television and whatever. And here's what uh, Carson Daly says about it was... Uh, Oh, she's just shy. Or, oh my God. Um, or somebody on that panel in the morning with like Carson Daly and all the Good Morning America people says, oh, she's just shy. She doesn't want to be on. And this is where like for me, all of my alarm bells went off. How is it possible that of all the people involved in the story, the single woman is the one who like share, like there's not a statement shared. She doesn't share her perspective, but everybody is speaking for her. And then it's just presumed that she's shy. And like by the, by television, it's presumed that she's right. Shy. It's right. presumed that she's shy. The guy who is like, uh, you know, like allegedly going to go on a date with her is being like very kind of gross coy about it, where he's like, "Oh yeah, like she's a lovely girl. I'm gonna call her." And then you know the other couple, the instigator couple, is very much like, "Love is great, like whatever." And then, and nobody interrogates this of. Of, like, the TV people, the TV producer. Wait, you mean the, the fourth hour of Good Morning America did not critically interrogate this is, this something? This was not on the fourth hour of Good Morning America. <laughs> they don't do segments that way, but you know. Um, but it was this thing where, like, nobody interrogates that, and they just assume that she is shy. And then it turns out, like, a couple of days later, that the woman, like, releases a statement through her lawyer. And she is very much like, no, I don't want any part of this nonsense. Because guess what? People found her without her revealing herself. And people did the thing that they do to women on the internet, which is that they drove her off the internet. She, like... Right, harassed her, called her a slut. Right, like, like yeah. she's a slut and he's, like, a stud hero. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the how the story works. And it is so gross to me that she had to, like, this is the, the treatment that she got. And that she is not partaking in any of the, you know, like supposed rewards or fame or whatever is supposed to happen here. But more importantly, that well-meaning people do this all the time. You share the stories that are not yours to share. Just because you construct like a bananas fairy tale in your head, you do not have permission from people to identify who they are. Also, the other reason that this is like, of concern to me is that we live in this world where everybody thinks that uh, if you talk about somebody online that they're famous and because they are talked about that they want people to know who they are. Right. Like who is a public figure has right. gotten very muddy. Like who is a public figure and we need some like real norms around this stuff. But I would say that like the woman who is sitting in front of you on the plane 
maybe talking to a handsome dude, maybe they're going to date or not. That person's not a public figure because you made them into a public figure. Well, this is an interesting thing because I think about it a lot in terms of both, like, in my work and things I read, like, like, um, what social media things get quoted and credited and Mm -hmm. how. Um, And I think that there are these tiers, right, of, like, in in some newsrooms um, and among some people, if anything is posted on an unlocked account, like, i.e., like, you could find your way there and it's technically public, there are places that think it's fair game to quote that. They always say, this is how Twitter works. And it's like, no, when a lot of people sign up to come on Twitter, they came here to tell their friends what kind of sandwiches they were posting. They didn't think that they were signing up to be like, their, for their entire lives to be mined by ginormous media platforms. Right. And I think that like, um, it's something that I think about a lot as well when I like quote people who are like, clearly having a conversation that did not include me, that I'm interested in, like I'm reading. There's like a ton of people that I follow on on different corners of social media where I'm like, what I like about like essentially lurking is that I get to learn. Like I get to see people who are like smart in dialogue with each other and I get to learn about like what certain types of conversations look like when I'm not in the room. And I think like the requirement then is like recognizing like actually what makes this conversation so interesting to me is that I am not a part of it like I'm actually not a part of this community even though it is public for me to watch and therefore I'm going to send a request to quote this tweet I don't typically do it if someone is like a journalist or a public figure who's making a statement where they know it's like a this hey world this is what I think but when it's especially they're broadcasting yes but when it's replies and especially when it's like part of like a bigger contextualized thing and definitely when someone is like speaking to a community that I'm not a part of like usually that person is a public figure you can send a request and be like can I quote this tweet in a more public kind of like more official media way and it was interesting like I've been in like two newsrooms as like a guest in the past week and I have asked them both like how do you do it when you are quoting essentially private citizens like people who are not trying to have a public platform and the answers were kind of like well you know like we do what we can to like reply and say can we quote this so horrifying but but it's not like it's it didn't feel to me like there was a strict policy and And there is some work like Dana Boyd, who is a researcher at Microsoft and kind of like a smart thinker about all things Internet and data, once wrote, um, I think it was a blog post. I'll dig it out and find it about like essentially when you are quoting anyone, when you think about attribution and permission, think about essentially the hierarchy of power and platform. And if you were talking about someone who has less power, whatever that means in kind of like the broad social term, like we could be talking about privilege, we could be talking about like number of followers, we could be talking about age. It is incumbent upon the person with more power to get explicit permission and to cite by name however that person wants to be quoted. And like, this is something that like, you know, look, like she doesn't make the rules for the internet, clearly, but everyone should have like a personal awareness of this and like maybe a personal policy about it. Listen, I... um. I love that you brought up that... Um, Sorry, journal corner digression. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's actually a great journal corner digression because the pro- the thing is that, like, the journals get it wrong often, so yes. I'm not sh- surprised that people get, it, people get it wrong. And to me, like, this is actually the true debate about civility. Mm. It's not like, can we let Nazis be Nazis? It's like, no, like, are we... Uh, like, how do you decide how you treat other people in the world?
I was with a friend who, like another one of our pals who was a podcaster recently. And, you know, it's like Brooklyn is a small village. And we were definitely having like an intimate conversation. And somebody who clearly listens to one or either of our podcasts, like took a creep shot of us. We saw it happen in real time. We called the person out and was like, hey, like, do you want to come talk to us instead of you just in this like very intimate moment that we were having, it was like we were talking about something really serious, you know, at a restaurant. Like I would consider that we both do like work that is public. And I think that anything that I say on this podcast or anything that I share on my social media is fair game Mm -hmm. for sharing. Like I fully recognize that because I'm also like, this is how the game is played. I get it that we both do this thing that is like public facing to just have like a stranger take a photo of us was something that was, it was so deeply irritating. And, um, you know, and the thing is that like the minute we called out the person, they like blushed, they like, you know, like would like, oh my God, did you see that? And it was like, yeah, you're like one, your camera sound was on. (laughs) (laughs) You are intently staring at us. And it was like a real kind of like education in the moment of like, are there no places to be private? It really sounds like, you know, like Brooklyn people problems, like for sure. And I'm not sharing this to be like, oh my God, like your podcasters need space you too. so famous. Um, I am not famous I'm, at all. Uh, but you know, but that's you're the niche, thing. niche famous. That's, that's the thing. thing that I think about all the time. I'm like, I'm not famous. So like if this... Like, but we live in this like very weird era of like people think that if they recognize you from something else that you were like a part of their world. But the thing about the photo is that it made me examine like my own behavior where I was like, cause I've definitely, you know, like I'm like, I've definitely done this, like seen a celebrity on the train and was like, oh my God, y'all, you know, like XYZ celebrity is on the I train right now. I immediately flashback to me sending you a creep shot of Russell Brand and airport baggage oh, claim once. Yes, <laughs> yes. When you told this story. Yeah. I, you know, like, I, I love that. But it made me, like the thing that it did is that like, it made me re-examine my own relationship to the ways that I have violated other people's spaces. You know, and to be clear, Russell Brand is a big celebrity in this house. But, uh, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, Russell Brand should be allowed to get his luggage at LAX, you know, where, like, I get a text about it, but I don't need to get a picture of it. And I've been thinking a lot about, like, consent in these, like, semi-public, like, semi-private spaces and really how we treat each other. Because the thing is that, like, the same power dynamics replicate themselves, right? Like, it's not a surprise here that... The main man in this story is like celebrated. His social media has increased like his hundreds of thousands of Yeah, He's posting videos about how he feels about the whole thing. Totally. Like this has not been a ding on him. The woman in the alleged relationship with him, she's literally ran off the internet. Big ding. And the woman who like instigated the whole thing has had like a whole backlash like come against her. She definitely like 100% did a bad thing. But she is the only one that is being punished for it. Where I was like, you did a bad thing because the incentives of a world that you live in condition you to do this kind of thing tv segments were produced like so many articles were spanned and nobody has gone back to all of the like media people who shared this and said hey you participated in you know like nobody is shaming them individually but this woman like clearly so that's like not lost on me that the women in this story fall from grace and then that the man and the man at the center of the story like completely unscathed like is just getting free stuff from brands and like living his best life. Yeah, and the and the woman who um who posted these tweets and kind of like created the storyline around it posted an apology where she said, 
I apologize for taking away something that I myself value quite a bit, which is sharing one's own story publicly as a means to inspire others. What I have done is in no way inspirational. Every woman has a right to her own story. And it's like, that is true. Like, there's something going on about that. But, like, you're right that, like, the context of, like, the next layer out of, like, this is how we're all encouraged to behave and conditioned to behave is... Not saying that she should be using that as some kind of like out or excuse, but like that is another layer of context to what's going on. All of this to say, when you see your favorite podcasters on the street, be nice to them and don't take photos of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's my takeaway here. Well, or like, like how far does this go, right? Because part of me is like man spreading photos from the subway. There is like a sense of using like a photo of a stranger to point out systemic behavior. I mean, I don't have an answer to this. I'm just like thinking through it. But I think that even with that, there are ways to share that photo where you don't, you don't share identifiable details about this person. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of times like the, like that's not the takeaway. People are like, and I, and I understand that it happens in the heat of the moment. And to be clear, like we have both participated in this. It is just a matter of like taking a beat and saying, how do I want, to contextualize this moment. What is the takeaway here? And how do I center myself at it instead of centering somebody else? If you want to shame somebody about like manspreading, I'm like, manspreading is the thing that like most men do. I don't need to know who the (laughs) actual man in that photo is. You know, like I'm like, you need to show me his eyes and his like badge of where he works. And like, here's the, here's the exact train that he's on. He'll be, you know, like he'll be at court street in four minutes. <laughs> That's not the point. It's like, yeah. what is the point of your story? But it is hard. It is like hard. And it, what makes it harder is that we don't have like societal norms about it. Yeah. So take a beat. I just, when you said that, I pictured like Janet Jackson voice, like, give me a beat. Take, take a beat. <laughs> um, Man, it's so weird to, like, share this and then... Because all it does is, like, make me re-examine my own things. Like, there is a writer that I really, really, really love who clearly, like, I see in my neighborhood a lot. And there there are just days where, you know, I, like, I want to go up to her and be like, oh, my God, like, this thing that you wrote, like, really, it was, like, an inspiration to me. It was, like, whatever. And instead... After many, like, months of taking a beat, I've just said, like, no, this is also her breakfast time. Like, it's okay to acknowledge. And I was like, you have many other ways to have access to this person to tell them that you admire their work. You don't have to, like, bum rush them in public to talk about it. I think that there are levels, too, of, like, there is a way to say, like, hi, I want to tell you I love this thing. I'm just moving on. I'm literally not expecting engagement from you. Right. Versus... Um, I'm taking a creepy photo of you without your permission versus like a bum rush where you're like, can we be besties? Like, you know what I mean? There's like, there are different, there are lots of different ways to have an interaction with someone who is legit a stranger. (laughs) Totally. And And not interrupt the like day to day of their lives because they're all human beings. Yeah. And I, it is like an interesting question as well. Like when you, when you talk about, who is defined as a public person, like physically being in a public space, because there's also all this like journalistic precedent. There's like a thing called standing in. That's not the right term, but, but basically like, (laughs) like it's been a long time since like my like media law class, like in college, but like essentially the idea that if something is happening on a public street and you are there, you, it is like, you can, as a journalist, like photograph it or like document it. Like this is like a settled thing in media law. And it's like, It's interesting because that has this assumption that is like many things we are learning in this era of like 
American history, the assumption embedded in that is that you're doing it for some kind of greater good, right? Like you're documenting like a public safety issue or you are like talking about something that people in the neighborhood are going to want to know about instead of just like, oh my God, here's this person making a fool of themselves, which like, to be honest, in most like local news publications does not pass muster. But yet this idea of like, if it's happening in public, it is your right to kind of cover it, photograph it, write about it in any media. It's like, Technically, that's your legal right. Like the 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 woman who who posted this stuff in narrative about this couple on the plane is like by like that media legal standard, it's like totally fine. And so it's an interesting question of like how like norms and laws have not evolved. Like I know, but not everybody gets to play a journalist or hide behind like. I'm saying a and, lot like, of people you know, try to play journalists peop- though. Girl, girl, always. Uh huh. <laughs> it's like you're covering a protest. I'm gonna give you a lot of leeway. You're like. At your airport Chipotle, I feel very differently about this. Yep. But, you know, like privacy, it's the thing. And it's a thing to think about a lot. And it's also a thing to think about, you know, like the way that I like to think about it, honestly, is just because I do feel that we're living in this era where a lot of us are reexamining things that we were taught, right? That you like common responses that you are supposed to have. So like a couple, I think it was like a couple of months ago, like we talked hear about you know this idea that you don't feel safe so you call the cops that is the common response that a lot of us have been taught it's not a thing that you should be ashamed of the truth that we know is that like when you pick up your phone to dial 911 no matter what color you are the people that you are calling the police against you are starting a process right that a lot of times uh that is not benign right it's not benign and it ends in violence and death of certain people so that is the thing that you should reconsider you're like I like this is what I was taught, but really, truly, like, here's what happens in the world. Right. And like thinking about privacy this way is the same thing where you're like, hi, I really want to share this detail. I want to share this thing. And you stop and you say, like, who am I exposing? How can I protect these people if I do expose them? And also, what are all of the ways that this can be taken out of context? And I know that these seem like really big questions, but the truth is that, like, if you don't know how to contain a thing yourself, that's probably your cue that you should find another way to talk about it or another way because all you're doing is exposing people the same way that when you call people police you're exposing people to danger not not like making those two things like equivalencies of each other but they do have like very serious parallels when you share people's photos without asking them you are exposing them to a different kind of danger and you that's something that you should probably consider like i think about this a lot with like sharing pictures of like my friends kids or sharing you know like where there are things that like, it seems really benign to you, you know, or sharing pictures of like friends, weddings or whatever. But all you have to do is ask. It's like, hey, is it okay? Like, can I post this picture on my Instagram? Can I share this moment? And if you don't have access to the person to ask that, then that should make you like doubly worried that probably you don't have explicit permission. Yeah. So this is my rant for privacy and consent. Just do it. It was a good one. Before we go... We have a message from our pals at the Unladylike podcast about a current effort that they have going on. Hey there, Anne, Amina, and CYG listeners. I'm Kristen Conger. And I'm Caroline Irvin, calling y'all from Atlanta, Georgia. And the studio of Unladylike, the podcast that finds out what happens when women break the rules. And we know that there are lots of rule breakers in the CYG audience. 
And today, we're here to spread the word about why we need an Equal Rights Amendment or an ERA. Because, y'all, believe it or not, the U.S. Constitution does not guarantee or explicitly protect gender equality. And before you're like, oh, but we've got, like, the Equal Pay Act and Title IX. Well, (laughs) guess what? Laws and legislation can be overturned. We need to change the Constitution, y'all. And Caroline, I got to admit that I knew the Equal Rights Amendment was a thing from, you know, like women's history, but I didn't know how great of a thing that it could be that we still really need today until we started researching it for how to stop getting screwed in the SCOTUS, because I don't know if y'all have heard or not, but the Supreme Court is kind of going down in flames right now. Yeah, and I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has said that if she could change the Constitution in any way, she would get an ERA in there. And the language of the ERA simply says this, Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. And it's high time we make RBG's constitutional dream come true. Because one, I mean, we owe it to her, right? And two, she's right. Having an ERA would be a form of protection against all kinds of sex discrimination that would be stronger than a law and more stable than even a Supreme Court decision. But an amendment? Not that easy to overturn. So an ERA would be kind of like an IUD, you know, like a safe, long-lasting form of protection against unplanned politics. Exactly. And honestly, it'd be better than an IUD because it would definitely last longer than your Mirena or your copper IUD. It would last as long as, well, any other amendment, which is a long time, you know? (laughs) Almost like forever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot to get an amendment passed, y'all. Congress has to give it a green light, and then three-fourths of the state, that's 38, don't worry about the math, have to ratify it. And the ERA isn't new. Many of y'all have probably heard of it before, and the ERA has a ton of experience under her belt because Congress passed it back in 1972, and yet, and yet, dear listeners, it has not made it into the Constitution, but As of May 2018, 37 states have ratified it. So we're kind of closer than ever. We just need one more. And that momentum and, you know, our current Supreme Court situation have gotten us over at Unladylike really riled up, which is why we dedicated an entire episode of our show to the ERA. It's past its present, and its bright future. Because we might not be able to hashtag save SCOTUS from Brett Kavanaugh and any other, you know, haters of reproductive rights that might end up on the court, but we as citizens do have the power to make an ERA happen. And that's why we've asked folks like y'all to help us spread the word. Along with our episode, we've launched a campaign really as like a public service announcement that, hey, guess what? Gender equality not protected under the Constitution. So we're calling the campaign IUD My Rights because, you know, our IUD analogy, which might be imperfect, but hey, who doesn't love talking about IUDs? (laughs) So if y'all want to get involved, go to the resources page of our website, unladylike.co. There, you'll find our episode, a bunch more info, and some unladylike images ready to download and spread across social media. Just use the hashtag IUDMyRights and tag us at unladylikemedia so we can see what y'all are doing. And remember, 
If we can make the ERA happen, we would be making Ruth Bader Ginsburg's constitutional dream come true. Y'all, she talks about this all the time. She always says that she wants to do this for her granddaughters. We can help her do that. And also, why sit by when we can ratify? Thanks, y'all. Thanks so much. Thanks, unladies. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, see you in the other room, boo-boo. Oh, my God. See you right here at this table right now. <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Seed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delbach.